have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to get it out today, open it up. If you only have a phone and don't have a Bible and you are technologically inclined, open up your digital Bible and you can turn to Mark chapter 4 and we are going to pick it up in verse 2. It says, He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst uh, thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain, or did not bear fruit. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your word. And I just pray today here, Lord, that there is plenty of good soil for your word to fall on. I pray that today is uh, even a life-changing moment for some here, a revelation in your word and your graciousness and your love in our life, Lord. I just pray that you speak to us and bless our fellowship here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I've been reading my Bible which uh, I'm going to encourage you all to do. But when I read this parable, I really felt like there was something in there that stood out to me. And so I felt today in speaking to you all here that we needed to, and pardon the pun, dig in to the parable of the sower, which really is, um, and many people would refer to it as the parable of the soil or the parable of our hearts. And so to make sure we're all on the same page, I just wanted to share with you a few of the observations I've had in this, um, in this parable and to get um, some things out in the open so that we are all on the same page here. So firstly, the farmer in the story, uh, many people have lots of different thoughts about this, but my view is that the farmer is God. Some people look at this parable in relation to evangelism and think of preachers and evangelists as farmers who go out and sow the seed and spread the seed. And, you know, it's a message about, you know, I don't know it's not a great message to me if you're an evangelist. Because basically what this says is, as an evangelist, when you go out and spread the seed, 25% of people that hear it will actually take on what you're saying. The rest of it will just wither away. That's not very uh, encouraging to me. But anyway, the farmer is God. And it says that the farmer sows his seed and so if he owns the seed the seed is the word of God are you with me I can't be the farmer if I'm sowing if I own that seed because I thank God do not own the word of God that is his word and the thing one of the things that really stood out to me is that as the farmer is scattering the seed it falls on all of the different types of soil and has a different reaction but the seed is the same. It's the same seed that falls on the hard path that falls on the good soil. And the seed that falls on the good soil produces a crop of 30, 60, 100 times, which is amazing. But that seed is also the seed that gets taken away by the enemy. And so, if there's no fruit being produced, it's not because the seed is faulty. I'll say it again. We're starting big here today. If there is no fruit, it's not because the seed is faulty. And Jesus goes on to talk about the four different types of soil, the hard path, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. And you know, it's the farmer's field, and we're talking about a field, and it's the same it's the same field, but four different types of soil. All the soils are part of the same field. 
But in this parable, Jesus is referring to the different conditions of the soil or the different conditions of our hearts in relation to being able to accept the seed or the word of God. Same field, different soil, same seed. I think if we're all honest with ourselves and we know ourselves well enough, we would all agree and admit, and I'm the first to say this, that there are parts of my heart that are hard. There are parts of my heart that are rocky. There are parts of my heart that are thorny. And there are parts of my heart that have good soil, that produce great fruit. And Jesus goes on in Mark 4 to give us a further explanation of the different types of soil. And it says in Mark 4 to, uh, 14 to 20, he says, The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others... Like seeds sown amongst thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And other seed, uh, others, sorry, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And while those conditions are relevant to all of us, I don't have time to go into all of them, I really felt to focus on one of those conditions because I felt like it's certainly most relevant to me in this season, but I felt like it's most relevant to all of us who come to church every week and um, who have a relationship with God. And that is the thorny soil. The hard soil is obvious the good soil is obvious, the rocky soil is probably obvious, but I think there's some depth in the thorny soil that can really speak to us in our walk and our relationship with God that will help us in this season. And we've talked about this a lot actually lately, about this new season, you know, we feel like we've turned a corner, there's new things happening and, you know, lots of things um, yeah, lots of things that are happening. And I really feel like this is a word in season for us. All right. So the first thing that stood out to me about the thorny soil is that there is actually good seed growing in that soil. The thorns themselves grow in soil. So thorns come from seeds, obviously, so there must be good soil around where these thorns are. And it says that the thorns actually choke out the plant so that it becomes unfruitful. It doesn't say that the plant doesn't grow. I don't know about you guys, but our lawn, you know, when, you, when, you mow, when, when I say you mow the lawn, someone else mows our lawn actually. Don't, don't judge me. <laughs> but when the lovely man comes and mows our lawn... <laughs> first thing that grows back up are the weeds, right? It's the first thing you notice. But the problem is, is that the good, the good seed that is growing in that good soil is choked out by those three things that Jesus mentioned. And those, th those three things are the worries of life. That's the first one. And it wouldn't be wouldn't be a message from me if we didn't do Greek of the Week. So, <laughs> that word worries, the Greek word is merimna. Say it with me. Merimna. <laughs> that, that word, that was good. That word, merimna, is the same word for anxiety. It's the word, the, the word talks about being divided in two, fracturing a person into parts, literally 
being double-minded. The anxiety of life are thorns that choke out our word. When you're double-minded, when you're like, I know this is what God says, but I've got all these bills to pay and you know, I've got family that are unsaved and all those sorts of things, having this double-mindedness, this anxiety, are part of the thorns in our, in our, our fields. And you know, when the worries of life become more dominant than the peace of God, that's when the thorns start to choke out the fruit of God. The next one is the deceitfulness of wealth. Greek word, apate, that's easy to say, apate. So apate, it's probably not exactly how you say it. But apate, or the deceitfulness, is deceit motivated by trickery and fraud. It's the definition, I think, in our culture of fantasy versus reality. If you want to see something funny, you can go and Google what I thought I was buying and what I actually got. You know, it's all these amazing products. You know, this same ones of like someone thought they were buying like this massive, you know, car and they get it and it's like this big and you know, they've paid a thousand dollars for it. I think we're so often sold the lie that money solves problems. But the reality is a lack of money isn't the problem at all. More often than not, the more money you have, the more problems you have. That is the deceitfulness of wealth. That more money will have less problems. But that is not the truth. The third thing is the desire for other things. And the Greek word is epitumia. Epitumia, very good. You know, this word, that desire, is, it's a passion built on strong feelings. Now, this word can be both positive and negative, depending on whether the desire for something is derived from our faith by the word of God. In other words, the desire for good things, if it's inspired by obedience to God, is good. But if the desire for other things is contrary to the word of God, then that desire will also inhibit us from being fruitful, from that seed springing up. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things will all turn good soil into thorny soil. Good soil, good seed, springing up, looks like a plant, everyone gets excited, it's probably going to come, you know, it's probably going to produce fruit, and then it never produces fruit because it's choked out by all of those three things. And Jesus tells us how, how we can deal with those things. You can turn to Matthew 6, 24, uh, 25 to 34. And Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I just want to pause there for a second and give you a chance to think about that because I have, all of us I know, have been in this situation where the worries of life have been weighing heavy on us. But can you, can any of us, by worrying, add a single hour to our life? No, the answer is no. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the unbelievers, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I want to say that that line again, because this is really important for us to get into our spirit. Your heavenly Father, our God in heaven, knows exactly what you need every single day. That is why when Jesus prayed and he gave us the Lord's Prayer, he said, give us today our daily bread. That is it. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness and everything you need in life will be given to you as well. And therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you know, in, a, in our modern context around this thorny ground where seed is, has you know, come up but it's not producing any fruit, I think that seed growing in thorns in a modern context, might look like someone who comes to church every Sunday, someone who raises their hands in worship, someone who knows all the worship songs, someone who has, you know, a a deep moment in prayer and worship through the music. They might nod at all the right bits through the message. They might say, Amen. No one nodded there. (laughs) Amen. I need a drink. Might take some notes. Not making eye contact with anyone now. (laughs) They might even go up to the person speaking, the preacher afterwards, and say, That was an amazing message. I loved it. So good. And they feel all inspired and they talk afterwards over a coffee about how good that word was and how good God is. And then they get in their car and before they've even left the car park, they're reminded of all of the stress and worry that they've got in their life. And they become consumed with all of their troubles. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, that every Sunday when they walk in here, They're feeling dry and empty, worn out, feeling hopeless. And I don't mean hopeless. I mean, you know, lacking hope. Because they've been praying and believing for something for so long. It just never seems to come. And I think a lot of us in church, to be honest, have been sold a lie over our time. Because I'm not being critical of anyone or anything. But it's easy to get up here and preach a message to all of you to give you hope that sometimes praying and believing in God is enough to solve all of your problems. We've been led to believe that being a Christian and believing in God will lead to prosperity. And what's worse is that if you aren't prosperous, if you don't have fruit in your life, it's because you're not praying enough or because you're not tithing enough or because there's sin in your life that you're not dealing with. Prosperity, we're led to believe, and everything that comes along with prosperity, we're led to believe, is the proof of our righteousness. And while it is true that God wants his children to prosper, the word says that God wants good things for his children, what they don't tell you is that prosperity is the fruit of the seed and not the seed itself. Prosperity is a consequence of seed growing in good soil. It is just an outcome of the seed. Let me put it this way. God has given us the seed, which under the right circumstances and the right conditions 
will spring up to be fruitful, but God does not give us the fruit. God does not hand us a bag of apples and say, go and enjoy. God gives us the seed to plant in the ground so that it can become fruitful and produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times. Good timing. And I think for some of us, and I include myself in this, because we've believed that message sometimes, we've been praying for the fruit for so long that we have forgotten actually that God already gave us the seed. Did you know, I looked this up, you can Google this too if you like, I Googled how old is the oldest seed? And I found that scientists in Israel have confirmed that an ancient Judean date palm seed, Judean from the area of where Jesus was, coincidence, I guess, I don't know. It was retrieved from excavations from Herod the Great's palace in Israel, which was successfully germinated in 2005, has been dated to be about 2,000 years old. Incredible. That took over the record of being the oldest seed because there was also a seed that they'd found in a dry creek bed in China of a lotus plant where that seed was dated 1,300 years old. So this one won by 700 years. Amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. What this tells me, though, is that God's patience is so great that a seed can be planted in dry, dusty soil and kept safe for 2,000 years until it is placed in the right soil condition to grow up and produce fruit. Because this is the promise. The seed of God is always meant to be fruitful. The seed of God will always produce fruit even if it takes 2,000 years. I know that's good, but some of us have got some seeds in the ground, dusty, dry ground where there's some seeds that are just buried waiting to come up and be fruitful. You know, that situation, that's, you know, that example I gave you of a person, you know, coming to church, uh, to be open and honest with you, that was me. That is parts of me. Very recently, up until probably maybe a few weeks ago, for a number of years, I came to church every week. I had amazing experiences in worship. I lifted my hands, prayed, preached, you know, gave words, had the privilege of being able to share with you and encourage you from here and share God's word. And the last, I won't go through the, the whole history, but... You know, the last seven years especially have been this incredible journey where I, when I look back on it, I can see God's hand over different aspects, you know, different things that had happened at the time where I thought God was against me. I can look back and know that God was actually for me and that I'm here today because of circumstances that had happened over this period of time, I'm sure actually throughout my entire life, but more recently over the past few years where I have literally felt like God was against me and he, I felt like God was not for me and so I'd come to church and I'd pray and I'd go to prayer meetings and you know, I'm, the, I'm the chairman of the board and I'd go to board meetings and we'd talk about the life of the church and you know 
I'm the treasurer of the church too and I'd apply for grants for us and you know we were incredibly fruitful with those grants but I'll tell you specifically I've been in um, in the job that I'm in for five years I got this job through some miraculous circumstances at the time and I thought that it was an answer to a prayer well it was an answer to a prayer but I thought what the answer was was different to what I know it is to be now but I got this job about five years ago and through other circumstances before that I was thinking about my future and probably three months into this job I remember praying and asking God this question God how long will I be in this job before I get promoted to the next job how long will I be here for until I can go to the next one and to my surprise, I guess, I felt like God gave me an answer. God very clearly in my mind said three to five years. That's what I felt. So, and I, I just want you to understand, I wasn't asking God because I was already sick of that job. I was three months in. I was very happy and very, you know, I was very grateful to be where I was. But I was like, I just want to, like, I'm not being impatient, God. It's, you know, it's okay. I thank you for a map. But just tell me so that I... I can whack it in my diary, you know, I'll start thinking about it later. Just tell me. So three to five years. Thank you. Check. So about 12 months into that job, I started having some difficulties with my boss. About 18 months in, those difficulties increased. Two years in (laughs) was bad. Two and a half years in, which is about two and a half years ago now, was very bad. Very, very, very bad. For me, from a mental perspective and just the situation I was in, you know, it was just a bad situation. And on top of that, COVID, the the rumours of COVID had just started kicking off. You know, we were just starting to hear about that. And so it was an incredible, stressful time. And, um, you know, without going into full detail, ended up even in mediation with my boss and HR, something I never wanted to do, and it was horrible. And, but in my mind, I was like, well, I've got six months left. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> in my mind, I was like, well, I mean, God wants good things for his children. I'm a good person. I go to church every week, you know, I'm learning. I, I put my hand up and I looked at myself in that situation and I reflected and I asked God to intervene, but it was very difficult to the point where at, at one point, you know, talking with Larissa, she, you know, amazing woman, amazing wife, you know, I, I am the breadwinner in our family, but she said, just leave. And of course I didn't because, you know, of responsibilities but I could have just left but in my mind I was fixated three years it's coming so three years came around COVID had kicked off we were in lockdown and I thought well obviously you know you know God's got bigger issues at the moment you know (laughs) (laughs) I'll just hang tight you know I was very humble. (laughs) I'm sure God will get to me when he's dealt with this global pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right, I was waiting in line. We get to the four-year mark. Nothing had really changed. We're still in a pandemic. Still very difficult situation with my boss. And I thought to myself, well, four years. This is between three and five is four years so you know obviously it's happening and all this time I was applying for other jobs I didn't even get an interview I think I got one interview at some point and yeah anyway four years came went no change change in me I will say that there was there was change in me in the way that I viewed myself and you know a whole range of different things but um, ultimately, no changes in the circumstances. Not, no change in what I felt God had promised me on day, you know, back then. 
that there would be a new job, something new, in three to five years. So anyway, four years, three months into the job, my boss resigns. Hallelujah. (laughs) I hope she never watches this. Anyway, it's a blessing to know you're part of someone else's journey. Um, <laughs> God has a plan for everyone. I will say, she got a great job, moved on, was what she wanted. So it was great. Bless her. Hope, you know. Anyway, so four, four years, three months, you know, um, because she'd left, I was acting in her position for the time. They were going through a process, obviously, so it was about three months. Get to four years, six months. They advertised the role externally. And I, in, in my mind, I was already praising God for the miracles that he had done to even put me in this position. Because I just thought, it's obvious, I'm going to get her job. And that's the new job. And, you know, we're nearly at the five-year mark. So, you know, like, time's running out. <laughs> I was already working there. They knew me, you know. They advertised the job. I had an initial conversation with, with the boss. Great, great relationship with him, great guy. Didn't even get an interview. I didn't even get an interview. Can you believe it? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, it's not about me, but this is a promise from God. You know? Do they even know? So anyway, didn't get an interview. Lady came in, new boss. Lo and behold, she's amazing. I love working with her. It's great. Everything that I wanted out of my old boss, she is. Which is great. But five years is coming up, you know. Anyway, about about two months ago, actually, I'd applied for another job. It was a you know next level up, another council. I got an interview. I was amazed. I'd lost all confidence. But I got an interview. And at that same time that I got an interview, we were about, we were going away. We, we just um, went to Bali. We were going away in about four weeks or five weeks from that time. A whole bunch of stuff had changed at Larissa's work. I used to pick the girls up one, sometimes two days a week, which meant I had to leave work early. And, you know, that was all good. But, you know, if I'm going into a more senior role, I can't, you know, I need to be there and be available. Well, Larissa's work circumstances change. She doesn't have to work nights anymore. So there's no need for me to pick up the kids anymore. Obvious, God's plan is just coming together. Went to the interview. I had already planned my going away party. knew where I wanted to go for lunch and <laughs> what they should buy me as a going away present and, and then we were going away so you know I, I had already actually spoken to my boss funny enough and said look I've been for this interview she was convinced I was going to get it you know we planned out how we we're going to you know do the handover I was going to go to Bali come back for a couple of weeks and then head off you know and right now I'd be standing here talking to you praising God for the the you know the the truth of his word And this message is probably would be about how the promises of God always come true. And that is true. The promises of God will always come true. The problem is, how do you know what is a promise from God and what isn't? Did God tell me five years and one week ago to the day today did he tell me that I would be in that job for three to five years or did I just convince myself that that was the time frame that God was going to work towards obvious now five years and one week later that that wasn't a promise from God what I do know is that the period of three to five years has been the most tumultuous crazy, stressful, worrying, anxious time of my entire life. Incredibly difficult. 
But what has happened in reflection or on reflection is what I feel what has happened most of all is that I had some very hard paths in my heart. And I feel like, and I'm talking about myself, I feel like the last two years has been that, like God, taking a pickaxe to my hard ground and smashing it up and then bringing in the bulldozer and tearing it all up and pushing it all away. And I feel like he has done that so that when his seed gets planted back into the ground, that it can grow up and be fruitful in good soil. I feel like that's a blessing in disguise because ultimately, does God care where I work? No. Do I care where I work? Yes. Does God care about how much money we have in the bank? No. Do I? Yes. Being honest with you all, do I care about, does God care about the clothes that I wear or the car that I drive? No. Do I care? Yes. But you know, all of those things are thorns growing in my field. And what I have had the revelation as I was sitting in Bali, tropical paradise, licking my wounds over the fact that feeling sorry for myself, feeling like God had abandoned me. The revelation I had when I asked that question was, was that God speaking to me? The absolute truth of the matter is my honest answer is that I don't know. I don't know. And that's sad. Because I have gotten to a point of coming to church every week and volunteering and you know, doing as much as I could for the kingdom of God and doing everything I could in my work to position myself to get to that next level, that the revelation I had, and maybe this will be a revelation for others, is that my life had been focused on the fruit. And I have enjoyed the fruit of seed that I sowed and that God had sowed in my life many, many years ago. And the truth is that sometimes in our life we walk down to the orchard to pick the fruit and it's gone. And all that's left is a field full of thorns and rocks and hard paths. The good soil has been overtaken by the weeds. Dry, empty, emotionless, dead feeling. And you cry out to God and you cry and you cry and you cry and you beg and you pray and you fast and you read and you come to church and you do all the things that you feel like you know, you, we're supposed to do because they're the things that lead to fruit in our life, but it's, the, it's a lie. The fruit is only produced by the seed. And when you stop putting seeds in your field, eventually the fruit runs out. And we're left with a thorny field. But here's the good news. I believe that God is reminding us as a church in this season where we're at right now of what's important. And the only thing that's important is scattering the seed throughout our field. I don't want to get into the theological arguments around this, but to me, if you disagree, I'm happy to have a conversation with you after. It's just my opinion. But to me... If God is the farmer, then he owns the field and he owns the seed. In, in so many ways, what I'm doing right now, I'm just the donkey carrying the bag. <laughs> but God is the farmer. The field is his. The seed is his. 
when I have hard paths in my life, it's up to him to determine when he wants to change those, when he wants to create new paths. You know, we can do whatever we want. It's easy for us to see the hard paths in our neighbour's field. But you go and take a pickaxe to a path in your neighbour's field and see how happy they are about it. It's not up to us. It's not up to us to destroy the field and create good soil. That's God. The only thing we can do is just keep loading the seed into the soil. And we know from those seeds that seeds in soil that is dry can last for thousands of years. Because it needs something else. And I'm going to read to you out of the Bible, the seed, God's word. It's in James 1, 21 to 25. Please don't be angry at me. I did not write this. I'm just the donkey carrying the seed and it's up to you and up to God to determine what to do with this in your life. This is not meant to be condemning. But I'm going to read to you what God's word says. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word that has been planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently, that word intently, intent with intention, whoever looks into the word with intention, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. If you read God's word and you do what God's word tells you to do, that, it says here, that is where the blessing comes from. That is the fruit of the seed that is implanted in us. And in Proverbs 3, 1 to 2, it says it a little bit nicely. My son and daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. You know, the lie of the enemy is that when you've got a problem, you should deal with the problem, right? But just like the thorns, problems, bad things are also fruit of bad, bad plants. And so Jesus clearly tells us that we should not worry about anything, basically, in this entire world. We just pray that God gives us what we need today. And the Bible is full of instruction, full of seed. I know that old uh, acronym for the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. I don't know who came up with that. But it couldn't be more true. When the worries of the world and the anxieties of all of the things that are happening in our life overwhelm us and keep us down and allows the thorns to come up and choke out God's word in our life that says, if God is for me, who could be against me? We are, we are missing the point and allowing the thorns to take away the life that God has, has empowered us and given us to be able to live with him. And I want to make it really clear when I talk about prosperity. Prosperity is an abundance of fruit, right? And what, are, what is the fruit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That was a bit of, I'll just say them again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
When, when, we, when we just focus on the Word of God and we take what the Word of God says and we do what we can to be obedient to the Word, and yes, God requires us to be obedient, not for salvation, but for life, right? It's very different. God does not require you to work for your salvation. It has been given, but you are also being saved throughout your entire life. It's a process, and it's a process of doing what God says and allowing the fruit of God to rise up. If you want to know if your garden is being fruitful, you will have an abundance of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and patience when driving, <laughs> goodness, an abundance of faithfulness. When trials and tribulations come, we won't wonder where God is. We will know gentleness. And I know we all hate this one. Maybe that's a strong word. But self-control. I think sometimes we forget about that one. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. When you have seed that is planted in good soil, you will have self-control. I'm preaching to myself here. Trust me, this message is, is just as much about me as it can be for all of you. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Not saying something and controlling yourself to not say something to someone that you know is going to upset them or just that you feel that they need to know because you can see the hard path in their field. That's self-control. And, and I just want to make this clear. Saying it gently and lovingly, you know, just want to let you know, I can see that hard path, you know, there's a hard path in your field. That's not our job. That's God's job. The fruit of the Spirit are all of those things. And when the seed is planted in good soil, there will be an abundance of those things, not an abundance of money or cars or clothes or holidays, none of those things. So I really felt that we as a church needed that encouragement. I know I did myself. And I can just tell you that four weeks ago when I was in Bali praying and, you know, I wasn't really praying, I was just more like talking at God, saying this is not okay, like what the heck is going on. The revelation that I wouldn't know if God had spoken to me or not, and then losing all confidence in knowing what's God and what's not, drove me to the realisation that I have neglected my relationship with God, and I have focused only on the fruit. And so I have been reading my Bible and not just reading my Bible so that when Pastor Ben says, who's read every book of the Bible, you can put your hand up. Because I have. But I know in the past that I've read it so that I can put my hand up and say that I've read my Bible. Because Jesus says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. My ears were not switched on. I was just reading as a tick box exercise. So I'm, I'm making a conscious effort and I encourage you and invite you all to do the same with me. I've been reading Proverbs which, uh, you know, book of wisdom. Who, who doesn't want more wisdom? But the book of Proverbs is all about, you know, action. You ha we have a responsibility in our relationship with God. So anyway, I encourage you, read your Bible. Take it in with intention. Do what it says and let the rest fall to the wayside and not worry about all of those things that will come up and choke that word out of you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is life, that your word is not just words on a page, not just words in a book or words on a screen, Lord, that your words are life-giving meaningful words, that there is depth in what you say. And I just pray, Lord, for all of us, that as we read your word, that all distractions are put aside, that you speak to us through the words that we read, that they are life-giving, that they are refreshing, that they are rebuking when we need rebuking, they are encouraging And ultimately, Lord, the fruit that's produced is your fruit, your harvest, your, yours.
and a testimony of the goodness of you in our life. And I just pray for all of us here, Lord, that we are encouraged by your word, your life-giving word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a really significant word. Thank you, Damien, for being so honest and open. Is it really incredible that Jesus referred to himself often in relation to food and uh, water and things like that? We talked about him being the bread of life and him being the living water that anyone who has Jesus will never thirst again or never be hungry again. You know, addressing our very basic needs. Uh, and I, and I, it's what Damien's talking about, is this idea when Jesus was tempted, he was addressing all those thorns, all those worries of life, the, the deceit of wealth, the, the desire for other things. He was addressing those things. And it's amazing that what Jesus said is that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every seed that comes from the mouth of God. That that's what we are to live on. It's not about all the other stuff. But God wants to bring us into relationship with him. Isn't it amazing that the, the fruit that God wants to produce in us is what benefits our relationships with each other. The passage says in, about the fruits, love, joy, peace. Against such things there is no law. We don't need rule books if we got love, joy, peace, patience because that's how relationships flourish. And that's what God is all about, relationship. This is what God is talking to us in this new season, relationship with him first, relationship with each other. It's not about who has the biggest boat, who's so blessed that they got this and that or the other thing. It's about our relationships. That's where blessing is found. Awesome. Thank you, Damien.